Hey girl, welcome to the Reconstructed Woman podcast. I am your host, Claire Davey, and I am so excited that you are here. If you are a woman, wife, or mama looking for freedom in Christ, get ready. The mission of the Reconstructed Woman is to help women just like you release the pain of your past, rebuild your identity in Christ, and renew your mind in truth. Girl, I love truth. I love keeping it real, and you're going to get plenty of that here. I am so excited for what God is going to do through this mic and in your life. What's up, ladies? Welcome back. I am so excited about my special guest, Colleen Smith. She is a near and dear friend and sister survivor, and I'm so excited um, to have her on. Welcome, Colleen. Claire, thanks for having me. I am so happy that you're here, and I cannot wait um, to get into this conversation, but I want to tell the ladies a little bit more about you, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, read your bio to them. So Colleen is a chosen mama to a sweet young um, young man named Peter. Um, She lives off strong cold brew with the latest flavor craze and a good book. I love it. Um, She loves dinosaurs, puzzles, board games, and people. When she's not sharing her story from a stage or helping women through their own messy stories, you can find her curled up with a good book, listening to the latest true crime podcast, or hosting friends around her kitchen table for dinner or game night. She's a speaker, writer, life coach, and advocate for the lost, broken, and forgotten. Um, She was once all of those things. She says, I found redemption in my own story when I boarded a plane from Wichita, I might have said that wrong, Kansas, to Baltimore, Maryland with one suitcase, a journal and a plan, leaving behind a life of trauma and shame. I am firm in the belief that my life represents God's work in building beauty from ashes. I believe that my past allows me to relate to and remind others that they are not alone in their journey. In 2011, she co-founded GEM Gem Gospel Education Mentoring and has since mentored hundreds of underserved students in the glory of God's message, working with them to strive for their best in their education and personal lives. More recently, she wanted a way to connect more deeply with the population she felt closest to, women. So the Restoration Experience was born. The Restoration Experience is a ministry that walks women out of their messy middle and into their own personal restoration. The Restoration Experience began as a two-day retreat designed to guide women towards finding freedom, grace, redemption, and victory in their God stories. It has since evolved into more than she could ever imagine. Restoration coaching, opportunities to speak, and coming soon, the Restoration House. Wow, girl, you are a powerhouse, and I'm so excited for all the things. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, It sounds like God has done so much in your life, and so I want to start with just tell us your, um, tell us a little bit more about that trip um, from Kansas to Baltimore and what were the events that led up to that? 
Yeah. It's so funny. I've never heard anyone read my bio out loud before. And I'm like, wow, God has done so much in my life. Um, So I feel like there's a whole story that needs to come before the boarding of an airplane. But as a little girl, I was born into just an already broken family. Um, My mom married my dad because her dad, my grandfather, didn't like him. So it was kind of a spiteful thing. Um, I, I, when she first said that, I didn't really believe her, but later in life when she passed away and we're looking through photos, I was like, wow, there's no photos of my dad and mom at their wedding with my mom's side of the family. And I'm like, they must really not have liked him. Well, my dad was a drug addict, an alcoholic. He was abusive in every sense of the word. And, you know, it may have happened before five years old, but that's when I remember like it happening is that he began to sexually abuse me um, real bad. Not just like, I mean, sexual abuse is not good at anything, but it was like things that a five-year-old should not be doing to anyone, especially not her father or her brother or her uncle. Um, and then when I, you know, when I would try to fight back or I would say, oh, I'm going to tell someone, there would be even more consequences and kind of like revenge, like to the point where He tried to drown me in a bathtub and I, Claire, did not get in a bathtub to take a bath from like that time on. I mean, I had to go through intense therapy, like immersion therapy to be able to take a bath. And now I'm like, man, when I moved into my house, I told them there couldn't be any bathtubs. And now I'm like, I want to take a bath and there's no bathtubs. But it was a lot of healing that had to happen. And then through that, like food became an addiction because that's what was bringing me comfort and you know, as I grew up, I kind of started acting out sexually because that's what I knew, like sex equated love in my mind. So if you were willing to like have sex with me or be intimate with me or really pay me any kind of attention, like then I thought, oh, well, I mean something to you. And so kind of carried that into my like adolescence, teen, young adult years, And it was hard. My dad wasn't just sexually abusive. It was mentally, emotionally, you know, telling me like, oh, I'm so glad you're fat. No one will ever love you. Like, no one will ever want to have kids with you. Like, you'll never be anything. Like, you're broken. All of these things. And then even physically, like, I... Um, my brother still lives in my childhood home and for a long time it was very hard for me to go there because he hasn't really well recently has started doing some renovations but hadn't changed anything and there's still like a door that my dad threw me in that's broken and I'm like oh that is like so triggering to walk into this as an adult so many years later to see like that door is still broken and it was just a very rough childhood my mom she had her own issues. Um, she abandoned my brothers and I when I was 10 years old. My grandparents then raised us and my brother had already kind of been groomed to abuse me. So that continued like through my, you know, later childhood, early teen years. And you know, my grandma's raising now four children. I have three brothers and has a sick husband. So she's doing the best she can. But I really had to grow up and care for the these care for my siblings and part of that is like how do you then turn around and care for a younger brother who's abusing you I mean like I'm gonna do it because I'm the I'm the oldest but it's so hard like and I know it took me years to like think like I took care of someone who was hurting me like and 
like not just took care of him, but really like helped raise them. So at, you know, I graduated high school. I went to college for two years at a junior college and lived on campus and was like the wild girl that everyone just saw me as like the overweight girl who was desperate. And like, I just gave my body to anyone and everyone. And, you know, for a long time, I carried a lot of shame in that, but it's, it's what I knew. It was how my mind was trained. It was what my dad had said to me. It was just how my body reacted to people. I continued to gain weight because I'm like, well, if I continue to gain weight, nobody will ever like really want me and it'll be safe. Like I felt in, it's so hard sometimes to say this out loud, but I think I felt safe in my abuse because they were going to use me and then they were going to walk away and there was no commitment on my part. So like, it was just like, okay, well, this is going to happen and then they're going to leave or maybe it'll happen like a few times and then they're going to leave. Um, and so that for me just became like kind of a defense mechanism. So I'm living at school. I'm working, bartending, waiting tables. And I meet this guy who at the time, like in my heart was like, oh, he's going to change my life. Right. Like he's going to be the dad that I never had. He's going to take care of my bills. He's going to help me pay for college. And really, he was using me like I'm sleeping with him. He's giving me some money, but I didn't see it as like a bad thing at the time. I just was like, I mean, he's helping me. We have this relationship. He's like a dad. Um, And then one day I was just like, wow, something about this just isn't right. So I went on to my dream school and then woke up one day and was like, wow, if I continue down this path, I'm going to end up like my parents or honestly, I'm going to die. Like there's just no way around it. Either I'm going to get to a place where I don't want to live anymore or someone's going to hurt me to the point of like killing me or I'm going to catch some sort of disease. I mean, like that's what I was thinking. And so I'm like, how do I get out of this? I still have a mom who is like trying to be a part of my life. But also what I didn't know at the time is stealing my identity and racking up tons of debt in my name. She's telling me like, you're, you know, you're not good enough. You're not this. You need to find a man. You need to get married. You need to settle down. This is from the woman who had like eight husbands. So I'm like, I don't want to get married. Like my life doesn't revolve around finding a man. Like I want to like do something with my life. My life matters. Um, and so I just one day was like, how can I get out of here? My dad's still calling me all the time, harassing me on the phone. And I very much until I went to therapy, I didn't really know how to like, describe this, but I was very much a people hoarder. I don't want to change my phone number. I don't want to change my email. I don't want to block you because what if someday you need me and then I'm not there? Or what if someday I need you and I can't get a hold of you? And so I just would keep these people. Like I would just like hoard people in my corner until I needed them or until like it was just too much. And so I just woke up one day and was like, okay, my friend's a nanny. She gets to travel the world. Like I need to look into this. And I started looking and I interviewed like all over the country, California, North Carolina, New York, Florida. And this family in Maryland called me and they were like, tell us your story. Tell us why you want to be a nanny. And I was like, uh, 
Hmm. So, you know, I was just like, well, I want to see the world and like, I'm ready to leave home and I feel like I need to get away and like find myself. I mean, all the things you say when you don't know the Lord, right? Like, I'm going to find <laughs> myself. I need to get away. Um, and it turns out that they were a Jewish family. And they, we had a, probably like a four-hour phone interview. And then they called me on Skype. And then they're like, hey, we're going to make a decision by Tuesday. We'll get back to you. And then they called me back later that night. And they were like, can you be here on Tuesday? And I'm like, Tuesday is in like three days from now. And they were like, yeah. So I dropped out of school, packed my bag, my one suitcase with my journal. And I was like, I'm going to go across the country. I'm going to live for one year in this nanny contract. And then I'm going to come back home and everything's going to be perfect. I mean, that's how my brain worked. I'm like, I just need to go. How old were you at the time? 21. Okay. Yeah. So I get on this plane at 21 and I'm landing at the airport and I'm like, what in the world have I done? Like, I am moving to a state and a city where I know no one. I've never met these people that I'm going to live with. And yes, we have a contract. So like, they're probably not going to hurt me. But I don't know them. And I'm going to live in their house and like, raise their children with them. Like, it was just like all these things. And I was like, Oh, man, the first night I was there, they sat me down at their dining room table. And they said, Hey, we really want to help you get your life back on track, whatever it is, however you need to find yourself, like, we want to help you. But you cannot live in our house and not have some sort of religion. So you could be Buddha, you could be Muslim, you could be Hindu, you could be anything, you could be a Christian, but you can't be Jewish. Because apparently in the Jewish culture, they don't like you to convert in. Which is kind of funny to me because as a Christian, like, we want all the people. (laughs) Um, And so the the first weekend I'm there, they take me to this little bitty Baptist church on the corner near their house and leave me. And I was like, what am I, like, what am I (laughs) supposed to do now? My family was like, you know, Christmas, Mother's Day, Easter Christians. Like, occasionally we would go on Sunday, but all the rest of the time my life was a big old mess. And so I'm like, um, Okay. So I go to this church for a little while and I'm like, I do not fit in here. It was like this little and there's no offense to any little old Baptist church full of old people. But I just was like, I I, this is just not it. So this youth pastor lived around the corner from me and I tell him we're friends now. All the time, I'm like, I really think that you saved my life, honestly. He would, like, follow me down the walking path in the morning after we dropped our kids at the bus stop and tell me about his church. And I'm like, yeah, or tell me about youth group. He's like, you should just come to youth group. I'm 21. I don't need to come to youth group. I can go to big church. But at the time, like, I now see he was just trying to put me in community with people my age. Yeah. So I start going to this church, but I'm still living in my, like party glory like I don't know if you know anything about nannies but they work during the week and then on the weekends they go buck wild crazy um (laughs) and so I'm doing all that and if I'm not hungover like maybe I'll show up at church on Sunday and like I'll go to youth group on Tuesday and like hang out because there's people my age what I didn't know was God was really starting to cultivate my heart and really beginning to like till that soil and get it ready for what was next. And what was next came a long time later. 
But I was invited on the youth retreat as a volunteer. And I'm like, you do not want me on a youth retreat. You have no (laughs) idea, like, how I live my life. And I'm, like, making up all these excuses. But at the time, I'm, like, a people pleaser, especially for men. And I'm, like, oh, I just want to make him happy. So I'm going to go. And so I went. And on that youth retreat at 22 years old, I am, like, alongside a bunch of middle schoolers, like, you know, on youth retreats, they have, like, the Saturday night worship night and everybody gets saved. Um, I'm, like, laying on the stage with these middle schoolers just pouring my heart out to the Lord. And I'm, like, what is happening to me? I do not understand. And it was that night that I was, like, okay, I'm going to, like, I'm going to love Jesus. And it's just, like, you're kind of on this high and, like... I, as I've grown in my faith, I look back and I'm like, I don't know if that was genuinely like sincere or pressure. And so for all, for like eight years, so from 22 to 30, I'm like going to church. I'm like still living my crazy life. I'm having sex with all these men. I'm letting people take advantage of me and I'm just living my best life. And then I'm I'm going to church and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm in Bible study and youth group. And like in my heart, I'm like, okay, well, I love Jesus. Like this is just, you know, I show up in church. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm serving in the youth ministry. And then I just like, I was so burdened and I'm just like, how, like, I don't, I don't understand. It was exhausting, honestly. Like, how do you live two lives of like? I'm going to live my life for Jesus three days of the week and the other four days of the week, I'm just going to be crazy and wild and do what I want and have no regards. And it just gets to the point where you're like, you're not living one life, you're living two and it's exhausting. Yeah. So in all of this, Claire, which is crazy because I'm now like a missionary, like I do full-time ministry as my job. Um, In all of this, I started doing ministry and I'm like thinking that I'm doing everything right. Nobody knows I'm living in this secret sin because if nobody can see it, like who cares if I'm doing it? I'm still like struggling through this food addiction. I'm still sleeping with all these men, which now I would admit that I had a sex addiction. Um, I'm still doing all these things that I'm telling all these teenagers not to do. And one day my friend sat me down and at the time I didn't understand accountability. So I'm just like, man, you're so mean. Like, who cares? Like, who cares what I'm doing with my life? Like, why are you in my business? You know, so angry. But she sat me down and she's like, you're ruining like whatever testimony God wants you to have. Because if anybody finds out that on Friday nights you're telling the kids not to go sleep with their boyfriends or drink or do drugs or whatever it is they're doing and you're leaving and going to sleep with whatever man is paying you attention in that hour like that's not how god wants you to live and i'm like whatever you don't know anything about my life and i really hadn't shared my story with anyone like nobody at this point knew i mean i had tried to tell my mom and she just wanted nothing to do with it that's what i was gonna ask you did you Did you tell anyone as a child in your family or? Well, I think my dad put the fear of God in me when I told him I was going to tell someone and he tried to drown me and threatened to kill my family. Um, I want to stop you for a second because I just, there's so much to, I want to just say, I'm so sorry like that you have been through that. That is horrible. Like Mm -hmm. you have experienced more pain and suffering 
you know, in 30 years or 20 years that it was then, than some people, multiple people ever experience. And so I am so sorry that that evil happened to you. And, um, I just, I just want to hug you. I'm so, so sorry. And I know that, um, your story, God ultimately redeems it and and we're going to get there for sure. But, um, I just feel like I need to say that I'm, I'm sorry. And, um, I just had a couple questions regarding that. Like, so you had said that, uh, I cannot imagine the, yes, I mean, I can't imagine I'm a survivor, but also, um, it makes sense to why you would not want to, you know, take baths. And so praise God for that redemption in that, um, alone. And I think that there's so many women that like, when you say that's all you knew, um, that go towards you either as abuse survivor, specifically sexual, you either go, you know, really promiscuous or you tend to be really prude and hate sex. You know, I mean, I know there's a spectrum, but Mm -hmm. typically it's pretty extreme. Um, and so I think there's a lot of women that can relate to all I know is, is this, and this is how I perceive love, but yet what you are doing and what they're doing is uh, making it worse. It's digging the the hole even deeper. Um, And so, yeah, it's, I I want you to continue and to tell us how, um, how you, you got free of that. But I also want to know, were you mad at God along the way? Like, yeah, I, I think before I, because for a brief stint of my childhood, I went to a private Christian school. I think that's when I was mad at God because I'm like, everyone is telling me that God is so good. But if God is so good, why am I living in my own personal hell? I think as I got older and really have started to understand sin nature and like my life and like sometimes we go through trials and tribulations to get where we are. I don't think I was angry with God. I think I tried for many years Mm -hmm. to try to understand why. Why did you pick me? Like, why did I have to go through this? And people ask me all the time, like, if you could go back, would you change your life? And they're shocked when I'm like, absolutely not. Am I like sad and sometimes a little discouraged and maybe even broken that I had to go through all of this? A hundred percent. And I would not wish any of my life um, and, and any of that stuff that I went through on anyone, like not even my worst enemy. But I wouldn't change any of that because all of that has made me who I've become today. And I believe that God has redeemed my story so that I can walk with other women through their own stories. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us how that accountability transpired at, with she called you out. You got mad. <laughs> yeah, I did get mad because I didn't understand accountability. And actually, a few years ago, I called her and I'm like, I understand now. Like, and I like crave accountability in my life, which we'll talk about that. So she says to me, she was like, I think you need to go to my beach condo for a week or two weeks or however long you need. And you need to take a time out and you really need to figure out your life. Well, in my mind, I'm hearing like beach condo. Who's going to say no to that? (laughs) Um, But what she didn't tell me was there's no television. There's really very little internet access. It's really a one bedroom condo on the beach. 
And so as every Christian would do, I packed my Bible, right? Because that's what you do when you love Jesus. You bring your Bible everywhere. Or so I thought. And I go to this beach condo and every day, Claire, like, it was like I woke up excited to read my Bible and know more about the Lord and like take walks on the beach and really like listen to what he was speaking to me. And it was in some of those walks on the beach that he's like, you think that no one sees your sin and no one sees your sin but me. I see your sin and I love you just the same, but I'm disappointed. And I was like, So now what do I do? And I, I'm a journaler, like there's like 50 journals around me right now. And I literally went back to the condo that day. And I just journaled out like, here are things that I know I need to change. What are the next steps to do it and like really praying and like, reaching out to people that I knew. And so when I came back, I stayed for two weeks. When I came back, I started like a journey, a health journey. I've lost over 200 pounds. I have, um, I have gone through multiple different counselors beginning with sexual trauma counseling because you said earlier, most people are like they're prudes and they like hate sex or they love it. But I actually went through like different seasons where I would be like, I'll never get married because I will never have sex with my husband. I hate it. Or the hypersexual, like, I just, like, I'm addicted to it. And so I really spent probably three or four years in sexual trauma therapy, really digging into, like, none of this was my fault. Like, and the reason why I choose these men is because of what's happened to me. But how do I get out of that cycle? And then once I finished with her, I went on to um, intense family counseling where you really dig into like the things that happened to you. You go back and like, it was really weird for me at first, but I love this type of counseling now. You go back and I sat with my five-year-old self and I told her like, none of this is your fault. And like, we're safe now because for so many years... I lived in fight or flight mode and nothing in my life ever felt safe. And like when it didn't feel safe, I'd just out like I want nothing to do. And like I'm like uh, I'm like a very sensitive like Enneagram too. I don't have a fight bone in my body. So I don't fight. I just fly. I'm just like I'm out. We got to go. Um, but my body fights and I have a lot of health issues that are trauma like induced from my trauma. And, you know, when I started counseling, I went back to my mom before she passed away and I just tried to have multiple conversations with her. And she knew that I always wanted to write a book. And her response to me was, I think you're making this up so you have a great story to sell. And I was like, I was told that too. It's just, that's just disgusting. Yes. And I'm like, that is, um, it's, it's almost as worse as the abuse itself. mm -hmm. If not work, it's it's disgusting. Like I I can't. Yeah. For a very long time, I excused her behavior because I know that my dad physically abused her and I don't know what else happened to her. But I'm like, you're, you're my mom. Like you should have protected me or at least like cared when I came back. It was so hurtful. And we had a very strained like relationship to the point where when she passed away, I really wrestled with whether or not I was going to go home. And the only reason why I went home is because my brother was like, I need you. And even in that, like my, my relationship with my siblings is very difficult. How many siblings do you have? Three brothers. So one is in 
prison. One, we just don't have a relationship because he just can't admit that he was a part of my abuse. Okay. And then the third one, like we're really working on cultivating. A re- we we have right now the best relationship we've ever had. And it's still a struggle sometimes because he's an alcoholic and yeah. it's just hard. And he told me like that my mom would always tell them that she only loves me because she birthed me, but she doesn't like me. And I've known, like, I've known that, like, that's her demeanor towards me my whole life. Part of it, I think, was a little jealousy because I did things that she wanted to do. I left home. I, like, got to a place and I, like, flourished. And so through all, you should never, you should have never, her brokenness, she just passed on and poured into she had nothing to give you but brokenness and that is so painful that rejection that betrayal no child should ever feel like that because that we know now as believers and god and daughters of god that how loving he is and i know as you know we're moms now right we would never do that to our children and um Yes, there is, there is mercy. There is forgiveness because an understanding that what they're broken, right? But this is why I'm so passionate about telling women who've been abused to heal because if they are broken, if we're broken, we can't give our children what they need. Mm -hmm. So I get this. And I don't know if you went through this when you had your first child. And for me, it was different because I adopted Peter. But it's like, oh, my gosh, am I going to be a good mom? Or am I going to reflect what my mom did to me onto this child that, like, I've decided to raise? And there have been moments where I'm like, any little thing, I'm like, I cannot be like my mom. No, stop. You have to stop. And it's like, no, it's not. I'm not being my mom. Like, I'm not hurting him, but I am being a stern parent. But sometimes parenting is really hard because I'm like, I don't want to be the mom that my mom was. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's only normal to stay in those patterns. For me, um, it was more so the behaviors that showed up for me as a young mother or mother to young children Mm -hmm. um, because I was not born again yet. I was not delivered. I was not healed. I had not started that when my 14 year old was little and my um, stepson, he was my first child. And so he got the brunt of it. And a lot of it for me was anger because Mm -hmm. of the volatile. um, I too, if you're just listening to this for the first time, I'm a survivor of sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, spiritual, emotional, all within the family. Um, my dad as well. And so Colleen and I have that in common. Um, I had repressed my abuse and didn't remember it until I was 27. I had was working as a school counselor and I, I had had some flashbacks and, and I had known, and apparently I had told people, but I was in complete denial and repression until I broke. And so, um, when I broke it at 27, everything came out. But when, to, to answer your point, about the motherhood, I was angry. And I, I would say, Oh my gosh, I just acted like my dad. Like, you know, um, Mm -hmm. as far as the sexual abuse, I always knew like that that was so wrong. Like even subconsciously that I hadn't processed, like that was never an issue. Um, if I was going to continue that, um, but I knew when, you know, when I broke is when I found Christ and, um, because of the spiritual abuse, I was like, this is crazy. Like screw God, essentially, um, because we're abusive one day and, and then we're 
you know, reading the Bible the next. Um, but God showed up to me and showed, powerfully delivered me and healed me and showed me free will and sin. And, um, and I went through a deep, deep cleansing. And so, yes, I, one of my big, the first things he showed me was the correlation between me and my healing and my children and my daughter at the time, she had pink eye. She's almost 12. And she was like one, I think at the time. And my mother-in-law called me as actually working as a school counselor and said, she can't open her eyes. And I heard the Holy spirit and I had never really heard him before. He was speaking now all the time. And he said, she will open her eyes when you open your eyes. And I was like, I just, it was like this deep revelation of as I heal, she'll heal. And at the time I didn't understand that that meant so much more obviously than her pink eye that, um, so I went on that journey to make sure that I was canceling um, generational curses and, you know, getting deliverance and getting freedom, getting healing and making sure that these patterns through therapy would not continue on to my children. Um, and that has been a work in itself. Because I spent most of their early years, I'd say from one to five, healing from my own past. So there wasn't that, you know, I was there, I was present, but there were many times I wasn't present because I was in bed crying and he, and, and in pain. And my husband, thank God I had him because he would say, well, mommy's sick, you know, and you, they don't know, but do I believe that they got what they needed from those, those first fine foundational years? No. And, mm -hmm. and it, it's painful and it hurts. And we talk about it now because they're 12 and 14 and, and they understand now they have a compassion, but at the end of the day, if they're still left with, you know, thank God I wasn't abusive. I, I didn't continue those patterns, but by not giving, there's still a gap, right? And so I've had to teach them now they have to go to Christ for those parts and I can only move forward from here. And um, so they're so gracious and children are, they're, they're so forgiving and gracious. Um, but, you know, it's been a process and I, I see some unforgiveness in my um, son towards me. I know my, my stepson has the most because he witnessed, I say, Claire BC, right? Before Christ yeah. <laughs> uh, wasn't before my healing. And, um, but what's pretty cool is that he sees me now and I know that he sees me so different and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a real witness to him the most because he saw, whoa, she was, you know, angry and bitter and, and now just the difference, you know? So yeah. God is a redeemer is the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. redeems. Yeah. So I, I come home from my, my beach, uh, I call it my beach awakening. Um, yeah. and I literally like started to change my life. I got rid of these people that were not healthy for me. I changed my phone number at the urging of my counselor. I decided that I was going to go on this health journey. I started to, to go to counseling. I started to like really commit my life to Christ and was like, it's either I'm going to do the hard work to follow Christ 
or I'm going to do the hard work that felt easy to live in the world. I cannot do both. And so, you know, I'm doing ministry. I had a huge ministry transition in the middle of all this where I moved like into a neighborhood that is a super dangerous neighborhood in Baltimore. And God has just really cultivated a ministry for me here. But my pastor that I worked with was like, one day he said, hey, I'm doing this series at church called Unmasked. And I've seen the masks that you've laid at the altar. Do you want to share part of your story? And I must have had a fever that day or been crazy because I'm like, no, I'll share all of it. And he was like, all of it? Because I had started to share bits and pieces with close people in my life. And I'm like, no, I want to share all of it. Claire, I will tell you the first time I ever felt freedom in my story was when I stood on that stage on Sunday morning and I shared my story. And it wasn't just about like exposing my family. It was about exposing God. Like, look at where I've come from. Like, sleeping with that man was prostitution. Now God has allowed me to start a whole ministry working with street prostitutes. Like, like, living out my trauma was like healing me so that I could start this restoration experience. Mm -hmm. Standing on a stage sharing my story about like the freedom that God's given me, the grace that I felt that I know I don't deserve, the redemption story. You know, the Bible talks about he will take your ashes and make them beautiful. He will restore you. He will make you a new person. You're a new creation in him. And then really like living in the victory of like the world told me that I should be this fat, broken, angry, not successful, not chasing him, not being a mom woman. And like, here I am thriving in like what the world has told me that I can't because of what God has done in my life. And so when I stepped off that stage, I had this vision in my heart and I was like, someday I want to host a conference for women where they can just come and they can just pour out their messy, their hard, their shameful, their fears, all of it. But you know, like God gives you these dreams and you're like, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too this. I just started this new ministry. I can't do anything else. And like years passed. I never stopped thinking about it, but it was just like one of those things that was like tucked away. And then the other vision he gave me was that someday I would live on a farm. And that one too was like tucked away. And I'm like, I live in the middle of like the hood. How can I go from living in the middle of the hood to a farm? But we'll get there. So I was in the hospital one summer and summertime is like my favorite time because all the kids come to summer camp and we host mission teams and like we just do all the things. And I was hospitalized and they were getting ready to release me. And they're like, your insurance won't cover the medicine you need. You can't leave. And I'm like, what? I have to go home. You don't understand. And so um, I was so depressed. I laid in the hospital room for days because it took days for them to petition my insurance company. And I just cried. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like, this is not it. And one night the Lord was like, go get your journal and just journal. And 40 pages later, I wrote out this dream about a women's conference. So I go to my pastor after all this and I'm like, hey, I have this dream and I think I want to do this like one day conference at the church, invite like 20 women and let them share their stories. And he was like, 
okay. He's like, I love you, but this is not a Colleen dream. This is a safe dream. And like, you need to dream bigger. Like, this is like bigger. Like, we're going to rent this space and we're going to make it big. And I'm like, okay. And in my heart, I knew that that's what God wanted. But at the time I'm like, no, I have to be safe. Like I have to make sure that I can pull this off. Right. I'll tell you like, God was all over that weekend. There were like over 50 women there. Like four of us shared our God stories, our restoration stories, our freedom stories. And you could feel chains breaking in that room. And I'm like, okay, well, this was fun. And at the end of the weekend, I'm like, I don't know if we'll do this again. Or this was just like a one-time thing. But my friend who planned it with me was like, nope, we'll see you next year. And I'm like, has she had Um, And then, Turned like after that weekend, women were calling me and they're like, I need you. Like, I need you to like help me figure out how to cultivate my story. I need you to figure out how to tell my family like XYZ. I need this. So then the next year we did it and they're like 80 women came and then wow. COVID happened. And I was like, oh man. So we oh, postponed so it. <laughs> yeah. So we postponed our spring retreat to the fall. And then even in the fall, we were still in lockdown. And I'm like, nope, we still have to do this. So we moved it virtually and we had a pajama party. And like the speakers all still came and we like rented an Airbnb. And we just had like the best time with these women on Zoom. Zoom is like the greatest thing ever now. Yeah. Um, And then through that, the Lord was like, you really need to coach women in their hard stuff. And so this like coaching business was kind of born. And then like this, this dream to like share my story and like be a speaker and write a book and do a guided journal, like all of this stuff has been birthed. And then the Lord, like probably towards the end of like last year, 2022, no, 2021, the Lord was like, I think I'm ready to move you. And I'm like, uh, this is my life. I've planned my life here. Like my kid grew up in this neighborhood. This is his life. And the Lord was like, no, it's time. Like, and so I've had this dream of starting a home for women coming out of street prostitution, addiction, and other like vulnerable situations that they would come and live on this farm and they would walk into a community that's built for them. Like it's about cultivating a community. It's about redeeming your story and your life. It's about learning how to do things that you aren't learning how to do when you're stuck in these situations. And it's about really having your own restoration experience for 12 months. Like, and really like learning how to thrive. And there's a lot of research done that when they walk into something that's prepared for them to have to take responsibility or ownership over something. So like a garden or feeding the goats or like walking the dog, like whatever it is, like, or making dinner for your housemates one night, like you thrive more in a community where there's something prepared for you. So God has like brought me an amazing investor who his wife basically had the same kind of vision, but they're really like, we just don't have the time. Like we have small kids. We don't have the time or really the heart to like run something like this, but we do have like the, we could make an investment. And I'm like, well, good news. Cause I don't have the investment part, but I have the heart. So God is really like, it's, it's happening. Like I'm in the middle of starting a 501c3 for all of this restoration stuff. And it really is truly like, 
I have to figure out how I can say this in a politically correct Jesus way. It's kind of like a screw you to my dad and all the people who hurt me of like, you told me like, I can't do these things, but God has proven me wrong. Like it's nothing that I've done. It's genuinely like, I have just decided I'm going to surrender my life to Christ and he's going to take this brokenness and make it what he wants. And so feel liberating when you see him put take the pieces of your past and turn it for good mm-hmm. and to do to be able to help and pour into others and to be part of advancing God's kingdom it shows your worth to mm-hmm. God and that's what you're really trying to say right and I get it I totally get it it's, like, it's no I am valuable no yeah. I am chosen no I was loved and in fact I would say you you know we know that before the foundation of the world you were that and Satan knew that and that's why he sent the evil through the ones that were supposed to love you and protect you and keep you safe and you you and they were the the ones that caused the harm because it was all to tear you down because of who you are in Christ, because of your authority, because of your, your royalty, your inheritance as a daughter of the most high God of the creator of the universe. And so when you, when God, you start to see that turn around, it's like, yes, you get your power back. And that's where the screw you comes from, because I, I know that you've, forgiven. I know that you worked through that, but the reality is, is it's like, screw you to the enemy who is the real source and was behind this because I'm not going to let this take, you tried to kill me literally. And you tried to kill my, my health, my dreams, my destiny, my, my self-worth, right? He, he's, he's tried to kill enough because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but God comes to give life and life Mm -hmm. more abundantly. And so even if we were dead in one season, in one way, God redeems and he breathes life. And that is Mm -hmm. your story now. And it's amazing. You know, that's my story. That's all of our stories who, when we yield to Christ, when we surrender to him and he turns it all around and there's that exchange, that beauty for the ashes. And so God is good. And I think I would be remiss to say, and I think you can agree with me because we talk a lot about this personally outside of this podcast, is that that doesn't mean there aren't days that are filled with discouragement. And there are really hard days where I'm like... I have to be very careful about the way that I address things or the way I react because it can put me into like a trauma response. And there are days when I'm like, I just can't do it today. And like, I go back to that five-year-old girl who's scared. But the difference now is I know that God is good and I have tools in my toolbox of like, okay, you're safe. You're not in that position. Like no one's going to hurt you. You're an adult. You have words. Like, and I, I would not like, I would never tell anybody like, oh, you're going to have a restoration experience and it is going to be amazing. And it is going to be amazing, but every day is not going to be amazing. That's right. That's right. And that, and that is what I tell people too, because it's like, oh, a beautiful life isn't a perfect life. (laughs) Like I work with women on blueprints for a beautiful life, but it's entrusting your life to the one that is beautiful Mm -hmm. and knowing that even on the hard days, the days that you can't get out of bed, there's grace, there's mercy, there is no condemnation, there's love. And 
and he'll get you up the next day, you know, and he'll get you through and he will, you will become stronger as time goes on. But we are going to have hard days. We are going to have sufferings. And that's where he says, remember, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, we're going to have days where we are having memories or flashbacks or we feel tired or discouraged and in the lowest valley, but he's with us in the lowest valley. And we don't stay there. We may have days there, but we don't stay there. It may be that you get, you can't get out of bed one day the whole day. Well, the growth and the progression comes, then, then maybe it's the half a day next month, or maybe it's then it's only a couple hours. And so we are growing and we are changing because of we go to glory from glory, but yes, it, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It's um, going to be effortless and easy. However, it's possible to heal and to get through. Um, but it is hard and it's, and it's hard to, to heal. But also what you said earlier about the shame, I wanted to speak to really quick with so many women and I, and, you know, maybe even women that are listening to this have never told anyone their story and have never told anyone. Um, maybe they've been, you know, lying to themselves like I did to, um, avoid the pain and the reality. And, um, when, like Colleen said, when she shared her story for the first time, the reason that it broke off chains is because shame is a, a, powerful emotion that we all face as humans, but it's also a demonic evil spirit that wants to strangle you. And when you start to speak and share your story, you overcome shame. And so shame immediately starts to lose its power on you when you share. And so you don't have to get up on a big stage at first. If God gives you the opportunity, amen. And praise God, because that's a, 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 real bigger blow to the enemy, but even telling somebody, and I would encourage you to even start by writing it out or telling that one person, I would shake when I would tell my story to my husband. And I mean, my whole body would shake. And, but then after I would feel like, Oh, I can breathe now I can breathe. And, and I would get it out little by little and, and, you will overcome that shame. And so like you said, you have tools because of Christ in your toolbox. And so to wrap this up, because I know we're kind of going over time, um, you know, what would you say to the woman who has, um, you know, been abused either in the family or out of the family? Um, give us, give her some practical tools or tips that could help her get her started on her healing journey. Yeah. I think that for me, something that I said I would talk about later is accountability. I think it is finding those people in your life that are safe. Like for me, I have four girlfriends. They're my cheer squad. They're my girls. They know the ins and outs of my life. They drive me to urgent care. They take care of my kid when I can't. I mean, they're my people. And that's where you start if you don't have any other safe people is just bring those people in, make them your community and like slowly share. It doesn't have to be like a a word vomit. You don't have to like pour it all out at once. But the reality is that God has given you people in your life that you may not even know yet who want to walk this journey with you. And also 
you have to give the shame to him. You have to give the fear of telling your story to him. Like fear and shame and uncertainty and worry and all of the things, they're not of Christ. And like, even if you're not yet a Christ follower and you're listening to this, like he still already loves you and he still already wants you to shed all of that stuff and be who he's uniquely created you to be. Amen. I love it. It's, it's so true. And, um, I'm just so thankful for what God has done in your life. You're a miracle. You're, you're, you're a miracle. I mean, and I see God's hand on your life so clearly. I love how he put us together. Um, and she's truly right. You guys with finding safe people and most of the time it's other survivors (laughs) because, you know, and not always, I have a couple of my girls that, you know, I could just pour into that. They pour out to that. They weren't survivors, but if, you know, especially if you've been abused within the family and they aren't believing you, um, that is so painful. And the family is where it's supposed to feel safe. And, and, um, so it's, I know it's harder for those of us who've experienced that. Um, but I can tell you that I agree with Colleen a hundred percent that God will provide that those safe women get in a community, um, find Colleen, get her to come speak at your events and um, attend the restoration experience and all the things that she offers and coach with her because um, you need, you need people like that in your corner. And so I'm just um, so thankful that you came on today and uh, let me know before you leave what your uh, favorite drink is right now currently. Yes, my favorite drink currently is cold brew with oat milk and Irish cream. Ooh, like flavoring. That sounds really good. Yeah. I love it. But my go-to when I don't feel like having like sweet, sweet, this is going to sound so disgusting, but I promise you it's good, is two shots of blueberry, two shots of coconut, and some oat milk. Oh my goodness. It's like on like a beach. Like it tastes like a beach drink. Oh, that sounds so good. I love blueberry. I love it. Well, and then lastly, share your favorite Bible verse with the women. Oh man, this one is so hard because I really love Jeremiah 29 11. Like he has a plan for you. You might not see it, but he has a plan for you. But then I also find myself over in Isaiah like he has redeemed you. And then in like um, Colossians, like he has created something new. The old has died and the new is coming. I think all three of those, if I could put them into one verse would be like my life verse. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And there's so many promises in God's word of who we are and his love for us. And he is the safest place. Um, So I just pray that um, the women that hear this will We'll find him, honestly. And with that being said, can you pray for the women as we go out? Oh, absolutely. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for my story. I thank you for Claire's story. And I thank you for the millions of other stories, Father God, the millions of survivors. Father, I pray, even if it's just for one woman who's listening to this story, I pray that you would just give her the courage and the strength, Father God, to step forward, to really seek your face and to really just find her safe spot to share her story, Father God. I pray that you would allow these women to shed the shame and the fear that they carry in being trauma survivors. Because, Father, I know for many years 
it was the shame of the world that held me back because what are they going to think of me? Like, this is how they know me. And when I begin to share these things, what are they going to say about me? But at the end of the day, what really matters is what you think of me, Father God. And I am yours and you are mine. And I am created uniquely exactly how you've created me to be exactly who you've created me to be. And that you've done the same for all of these other women and people with stories. And Father, I just pray for bravery. It is it is a brave step to, t- to tell your story. It's a brave step to fight back against the enemy. And especially if your abuse happened in your family, Father God, it's a big, bold, brave step to to tell your story because your family is is your family. But what I believe, God, is that my family is my chosen family, the family that you've given me that has yeah. provided safe space for me. And Father, I pray for any woman or person who is listening to this um, to this podcast, Father God, if they don't have a safe place or if they are in a, a situation right now and they need out, Father God, that you would lead them to the right place and the right people to help them get out. And Father, I just thank you for the reconstructed woman. I thank you for the restoration experience. I thank you for these stories of Claire and I that you've taken and you genuinely have taken ashes and made them beauty, Father God. And we will both tell you that not every day will be amazing and not every day will be beautiful. But Father God, it is a beautiful life because you are in the center of it and you have used us in our pain and our trauma and our stories. And I pray all of these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Tell us where we can find you and I'll have that in the show notes as well. It's just Colleen Samantha on all platforms. And then my website is just restoration-experience.com. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Claire. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Reconstructed Woman podcast. To join the journey, head over to the reconstructedwoman.com. Here's to freedom.